Chapter 22 of Marjorie Dean, High School Junior by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 22 The Resort of Playing with Fire. See here, Jerry, can't something be done to keep that Miss Farnham from completely upsetting the cast? Laurie Armitage's face was dark with disapproval as he halted Jerry, who was hurrying by him toward Constance's dressing room. I just heard her telling one of the girls in the chorus that her costume was frightfully unbecoming. The poor girl turned red and looked ready to cry. She's been circulating among the chorus ever since she and Mignon landed in the theatre. Goodness knows what else she's been saying. It won't do. This isn't Sanford, you know. We hope to give a perfect performance here. I wish I had told Mignon not to bring her. I hated to do it, though. She might have got wrathy and backed out at the last minute. If I ever compose another operetta, I'll let somebody else manage it. I'm through. Laurie concluded in disgust. Why don't you ask Mignon to keep her in the dressing room? Suggested Jerry. She's the only one who can manage Rowena. I doubt if she can. Might as well touch a match to a bundle of firecrackers, compared Laurie gloomily. Can't you think of anything else? Jerry studied for a moment. As Laurie's helper, she felt that she ought to measure up to the situation. It's almost time for the show to begin, she said. The chorus will soon be too busy to bother with her. After the first act, she'll be in Mignon's dressing room. Then I'll slip around among the girls and whisper to them not to mind her. She can't bother the principals. She doesn't dare go near Constance or any of the boys like Hal and the Crane. Please do that. Laurie sighed with relief. It will help me a great deal. Unaware that she had become the victim of a needful strategy, Rowena was serenely deriving huge enjoyment from the brutally frank criticisms she was lavishing right and left among the unoffending choristers. It was a supreme happiness to her to see her carefully delivered shots strike home. But her ambition to wound lay not entirely with the chorus. She was yearning for a chance to nettle Constance Stevens, whom she hated by reason of the impassable gulf that lay between Constance and herself. Never since she had come to Sanford had Constance appeared even to know that she existed. This galled Rowena beyond expression. As a leader among the high school girls, she had deemed Constance worth cultivating. She might as readily have tried to bring down the North Star as to ingratiate herself with this calm, lovely girl, and she knew it. Here was something which she could not obtain. Failing, she marked her as a victim for ridicule and scorn. The first act over at last, Rowena posted herself in Mignon's dressing room and proceeded to regale the latter with a derisive laughing account of her fruitful wanderings among the cast. Mignon listened to her with indifference. As she opened the second act, her mind was on her role. She was hardly aware that her tormentor had left the dressing room until she became conscious that the high-pitched tones had suddenly ceased. Mignon proving altogether too non-committal to suit her difficult fancy, Rowena had fared forth in search of fresh adventure. The star dressing room, occupied by Constance, lay two doors farther down the corridor. 
In passing and repassing in that evening, Rowena had vainly ransacked her guileful brain for an excuse to invade it. Now, as she left Mignon's dressing room, she decided to put on an intrepid front and pay Constance a call. Her large black eyes danced with pure malice as she doubled a fist and pounded upon the closed door. Who is there? came from within. The vigorous tattoo had startled Constance. For answer, Rowena simply swung open the door and stepped into the room. I thought I'd pay you a call, she announced with cool complacence. Seated before a low makeup shelf on which reposed a mirror, Constance was engaged in readjusting her coiffure, which had become slightly loosened during the first act. Her blue eyes showed wondering surprise as she turned in her chair to face the intruder. From Jerry she had already heard angry protests against this mischievous girl. Quiet Constance now read fresh mischief in the intrusion. She resolved to treat her uninvited guest civilly. If possible, she would try to keep her in the dressing room until the second act was called. Better that than allow her to further annoy the other girls. As she had no change of costume to make, she was free to entertain her unbidden visitor. Sit down. She evenly invited, neither cordial nor cold. How do you like the operetta? Rather taken aback by this placid reception, Rowena dropped gracefully into a chair, her dark eyes fixed speculatively on her hostess. Shrugging her shoulders, she gave a contemptuous little laugh as she answered, Oh, these amateur productions are all alike. Some, of course, are more stupid than others. Do you include the poor princess among the more stupid? asked Constance, smiling in spite of herself at this patent attempt to be disagreeable. I don't include it in anything. I don't even know what it's all about. I only came to rehearsals and here to amuse myself. Sanford is the deadest town I was ever in, and Sanford High School is a regular kindergarten. I suppose you know who I am, don't you? Rowena crested her auburn head a trifle. Yes, you are Miss Farnham. Constance made reply in an enigmatic tone. A threatening sparkle leaped to the other's eyes. She was beginning to resent Constance's quiet attitude. If you knew who I was, why didn't you speak to me at the first rehearsal? She sharply launched. I merely knew you by sight. There are many girls in Sanford whom I do not know personally. But I'm different, pursued Rowena. My father is very rich and I can have whatever I like. You must know that. You ought to associate with girls of your own class. Your aunt has lots of money and can give you social position. That Geraldine Macy is the only rich girl you ever go with. All the others are just middle class. You're foolish to waste your time on Marjorie. Constance had received Rowena's first words with secret amusement. As she continued to listen, her inward smile changed to outward rather. At mention of Marjorie, her self-imposed placidity flew to the winds. Kindly leave my dressing room, she ordered, her voice shaking with indignation. Marjorie Dean is my dearest friend. No one can belittle her to me, least of all you. Constance had slowly risen, her blue eyes dark with the injury to one she loved. I thought that would bring you to life, laughed Rowena, making no move to rise. 
As she sat there, the light playing on her ruddy hair, her black eyes agleam with tantalising mirth, Constance could not but wonder at her tigerish beauty. To quote Muriel, she did resemble a big, striped tiger. Without answering, Constance moved to the door and opened it. She was about to step into the corridor when Rowena sprang forward and clutched her by the arm. You milk and water baby, do you think... She did not finish. As Constance stepped over the threshold, she came almost into collision with Lawrence Armitage. His keen glance immediately took in the situation. He saw Rowena's arm drop to her side. Brushing past Constance like a whirlwind, she gained the shelter of Mignon's dressing room and disappeared. Hurry, you'll miss your cue. I didn't see you in the wings and came to warn you. Run along, I'll see you later, uttered Laurie rapidly. His words sent Constance moving rapidly toward the stairway. His lips tightened as he watched her disappear. For a moment he stood still, then, turning, took the same direction. Just a moment, Miss LaSalle. Seeking the stairway at the close of the second act, Mignon was halted by a troubled young man. I don't wish to be disagreeable, but Miss Farnham must either remain in your dressing room during the third act or go out in the audience. I'm not blaming you. You've sung your part splendidly tonight and I appreciate your effort. Will you help me in this? We don't wish anything to occur to spoil the rest of the operetta. I'm sure you understand. Appeal looked out from his deeply blue eyes. Of course I'll help you. Mignon experienced a sudden thrill of triumph. Lawrence Armitage was actually asking her to do him a favour. Valiance rose within her. She quite forgot her dread of Rowena's bluster. Flashing him her most fascinating smile, she held out her hand in token of good faith. Inwardly, she was hoping that Constance might happen along to witness the tableau. Laurie clasped it lightly. He was not in the least impressed. Thank you. He wheeled abruptly and turned away. Mignon ran lightly down the stairs and to her dressing room. Inspired by the recent interview, she promptly accosted the ubiquitous Rowena as she lounged lazily in a chair. You mustn't go out of the dressing room or upstairs again until the operetta is over, she dictated. Laurie doesn't want you to. He just spoke to me about it. He has allowed you a lot of liberty already, so I think you'd better do as he says. It won't be long now until... So Laurie thinks he can order me about, does he? Rowena sprang to her feet in a rage. That for Laurie. She snapped contemptuous fingers. This is your work. You've been talking about me to him. But you'll be sorry. I know a way. Her mood swiftly changing, she threw back her head and laughed. Resuming her chair, she sat silently eyeing Mignon with a mirthful malevolence that sent a shiver of apprehension up and down the French girl's spine. Rowena had undoubtedly been inspired with an idea that boded no good to her. As she dressed for the third act, she cast more than one nervous glance at the smiling figure of insolence in the chair. Not a word further had been exchanged between the two when the third act was called. Mignon half expected to see Rowena arise and follow her up the stairs, there to create a scene with Laurie that would delay the rise of the curtain. 
Nothing of the kind occurred, however, and the last act began and went on to a triumphant end. After the curtain had been rung down on the final tableau, she made a dash for the stairs to encounter Rowena ascending them. She had already donned her evening cape and scarf. At sight of Mignon, she called out in the careless, good-humoured fashion she could assume at will. Hurry up. I'm going out to the limousine. I need a breath of fresh air. Partially convinced that Rowena had recovered from her fit of temper, Mignon gladly hastened to do her bidding. It was not until she began to look about for her high-laced boots that she changed her mind concerning her companion. They were nowhere to be seen. Rowena has hidden them, just to be aggravating. She exclaimed angrily. That was her revenge. But I'll find them. After a frantic ten-minute search, she managed to locate them, tucked into either sleeve of the long fur coat she had worn. Thankful to find them, she laced them in a hurry and proceeded to dress with all speed. A repeated receding of footsteps and gay voices from the direction of the stairway warned her that the dressing rooms were being rapidly deserted. Those who had come to Riverview by railway had only a short time after the performance in which to catch the last train for the night. Taking the stairs two at a time, Mignon made a rush for the stage door and on out into the cold, starlit night. The first thing she noted was a large part of the cast hurriedly boarding a streetcar for the station. But where was the Farnham limousine and Rowena? Where was the little line of automobiles she had seen parked along the street when she entered the theatre? Only one now remained, almost a block farther up the street. Her heart beat thankfully as she observed it. It looked like the Farnham limousine. It was just like Rowena to thus draw away a little distance in order to scare her into thinking she had been left behind. Racing toward it, she saw that the chauffeur was engaged in examining one of its tyres. She heard a cheery voice call out, All right, Captain, and her knees grew weak. The voice did not sound like that of James, the Farnham's chauffeur. Hoping against hope, she came abreast of it. Then her elfin eyes grew wide with despair. It was not the Farnham's car. It belonged to none other than the Dean's. Heartsick, she was about to turn away when a fresh young voice called out, Mignon LaSalle. Forgetting everything except that she was in difficulties, she halted and managed to articulate, Have you seen Miss Farnham's car? Why, no, came the wondering reply. Have you missed her? I saw her go by in a limousine, stated Constance Stevens from the tonneau of the Dean's car. She was driving and the chauffeur was sitting beside her. A belated light now dawned upon Mignon. She understood that this was the fruition of Rowena's threat. She had purposely run off and left her, knowing that she could not hope to catch the last train. In the dark of the tonneau, Constance gave Marjorie's hand a quick pressure. Its instant return signified that her chum understood. Without hesitation, she called to the tragic little figure on the sidewalk. We'll take you home, Mignon. It's lucky that General stopped to examine that tyre. Then to her father. This is Mignon LaSalle, father. You know her, mother. Yes. Mrs. Dean bowed in a reserved fashion. Get into the tonneau with the girls, Miss LaSalle. We will see that you arrive safely at your own door. The unexpected courtesy very nearly robbed the stranded girl of speech. 
Stammering her thanks, Mignon climbed ruefully into the tonneau and seated herself by Marjorie. As the car began a loud purr, preparatory to starting, her outraged feelings overcame her and she burst into tears. It was hateful in her, she sobbed. Perfectly hateful. It was, agreed Marjorie positively. But I wouldn't cry about it. You are all right now. Then, with a view to cheering the weeper, she added, You sang your part beautifully both nights, Mignon. That's something to be glad of. This little trouble doesn't really matter since everything turned out well. It's nice in you to say it, quavered Mignon. Oh, how I despise that hateful, hateful girl. I'll never, never speak to her again as long as I live. Marjorie might easily have assured her that this was a wise decision. Instead, she prudently refrained from committing herself. Mignon's mind continued to dwell on her wrongs. She cried and raged against her treacherous companion during most of the ride home. Constance and Marjorie were obliged to listen and administer judicious consolation. It did not appear to sink deep. Mignon was too self-centred to realise their generosity of spirit. When they left her at the LaSalle's gate, she tried to put graciousness into her thanks, but her thoughts were too firmly fixed upon faithless Rowena and herself to appreciate the kindness she had received. For once Mignon had to swallow a dose of her own medicine, commented Constance grimly as the Deans's car sped away toward their home, where Connie was to spend the night with Marjorie. She found it pretty hard to take, mused Marjorie. It's a good thing, though. This will end Mignon's friendship with Rowena. But it won't change her one little bit. I don't believe she'll ever change. End of chapter 22 Recording by Ashley Jane